0: Listening to the Taming Hinges podcast: conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to episode number 13 of the Taming Hindrances Podcast. As always, my name is Phil, I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today's episode is all about truth. Truth is a touchy subject. Um, truth is something that we take in our societal beliefs as, you know, we use words like factual or, you know, evidence based truth and those types of things, but the reality is the word truth actually comes from a a little bit different of a background. Um, I'm not going to get into the whole, you know, semantics of it all, but it's always interesting to look at where a word comes from, and specifically with the word truth, it comes from a definition of an idea revolving around an entity. Um, Typically, it's, you know, used in scriptural writings about, you know, God's truth or or the true word, um, in some times, in some cases, uh, in olden times, truth was synonymous with God or a higher spiritual entity or a higher power. Uh, it was then later taken as you know we had the king's truth. It was a it was a defining statement. It wasn't so much used as oh that's the truth. It was more of a, a hierarchical presentation of. Yes, that's the king's truth or the king's word. The king's word is law. It was taken along those aspects. So I look at truth a little bit differently than I think most people look at truth. And I'd like to talk about how we can use this different outlook of truth more so in a a helpful light when it comes to mental health and self-awareness. I think the idea of truth inside of as we talked, you know, last episode with when it comes to systems, the systems we're interacting with, there's a big big need to define the idea of truth for yourself. And that's really where I look at truth and the definition I use when it comes to truth is what is true for you. What is your truth? That statement or those questions and then, you know, coming up with a statement to define it is a lifelong process. In my study, it's very often related throughout you know the anecdotal stories if you want to look back at, even like the, the story of Pythagoras and where the Pythagoras comes from, um, you know if you want to take a philosophical outlook, or when we just talk about ethics and morals in general, those things always need to be updated and always need to be checked on. and there's constantly new information coming in that may challenge our ethics and challenge our morals and thus challenge our truth. What is true to us? What is our truth? Not just looking at, oh, you know, here's scientific fact-based evidence. Yeah, that's that's factual truth. But more so if we want to look at, you know, what is you know, what do we call truth? What is what is the statement in which we're calling true? Are we using a scientific fact-based evidence system? Sure, that's great. Are we using logic and reason? Sure, that's great. Are we using belief structures? Okay. You know what is your truth? Your truth is going to be wholly you, and my truth is going to be wholly me, and that's why I bring it into the mental awareness and self, uh, mental health and self awareness debate or you know conversation, because as I've said before, we got to remove the connotation of depression, remove the connotation, the negative connotation on mental health and look at these more so as systematical ideas to be used as tools and how we can interact with things and then thus get rid of the judgment when it comes out of, you know, just a blanket statement and be able to decipher the information coming in and break it apart and use it for something. And that's, that's a reference of truth. It's a reference of what do I find to be truthful when I'm talking about myself or the interactions I'm having with other people coming from the perspective of me. You know, we've talked about perspective before and we've talked about reality before, and these are kind of the talking points there. What is your truth? How do you define it? What What is something that, you know, if you want to take, a, take the 30,000-foot approach, the as above, so below, on the macro level, the very high end, up above looking down, what's a... Um, What's like a no-go, you know, pick an easy one. Don't, you know, don't do anything crazy. Let's, you know, we talked about food last episode. Let's continue with that a little bit. In the food system, in the food world, the things we shove in our face for nutrition or enjoyment, what's a no-go for you? What's a what's an honest to God, tr- honest to whatever, honest to God's, however you want to put it. Um, I, don't, I just use colloquial sayings because it's easier. But uh, what's, a, what's a true statement for you when it comes to food? I really like this, or I really hate that. What are those statements? Do you have like, or do you have hard lines in the food world? Like I'm absolutely never eating Brussels sprouts. Um, those types of things, because I like to look at those and then challenge them. I think the idea of truth is something to be challenged always without reservation. I've talked about this before when we were looking at, you know, perspectives and, and also when we were talking about choice and change, that idea of, if you're going to hold something to be absolutely true, it better hold up. It better, you better have put it through, you know, the ringer to say, to make sure it is that for you to make sure it is that absolute truth for you. Because these are the things that we need to always be checking on in order to have a moral or ethical standing. And if you don't have a moral or ethical standing, your logic and reason may be in trouble. It's oftentimes that we work in the realm of emotions or even before emotions, the realm of coercion. And that's true in most, well, in most all societies, coercion has taken over at some point and caused mayhem and just, just, just complete mayhem and havoc and has really broken down societal structures that typically happens when coercion comes into factor in the Roman empire. Coercion could be said to be what ultimately uh, led to the destruction of the the Roman. Let's just call it the Roman oligarchy at the at this point. Uh, that idea of the Senate was broken apart due to coercion. Um, most older cultural ruling bodies had to do had. And and I would, I guess I would have to include most all ruling bodies in today. Um, it's all, it's all coercion in the end. True warfare is not fought. As I spoke about last episode, true warfare is not fought physically anymore, nor was it ever. All warfare is first fought mentally. And the easiest form of mental warfare is coercion. And coercion is essentially, if I wanted to use me as an example, I could be coursing you. I could be lying to you about the subjects I'm talking about in order to, for you to ch- take a viewpoint that I find favorable. It's a little bit different than persuasion because persuasion is just trying to get you to believe what I believe. And that's, you know, that's just trying to be persuasive. We have persuasive writing. Coercion is using lies and deceit and subterfuge to get that outcome no matter what. Using whatever means I need to get you on board with whatever I doctrine I'm trying to go with. And that's where a lot of bad choices can be made when someone allows themselves to be coerced or someone tries to coerce another person. And morals and ethics can really combat this. And morals and ethics are part of your truth. It's what you hold true in this world. That can be vastly different for everyone. typically is. This is a part of the statement of, I can never understand your depression, nor can anyone ever understand your depression. Again, we can be sympathetic. We can be empathetic. We can have conversations about it. The understanding piece will never happen. Partially because I can never understand your truths. Entire relationships are built on the idea of continually trying to understand the truth of another person. If we truly look at full, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word unconditional love or love in general, cause I, I'm, I don't understand love. I don't never really grew up with it very often. Like it was not, ever, it was never part of my life. So I don't really understand the idea or basis of love. I understand the clinical definitions and, the uh, you know, those types of things, but I know there's more that goes into it. So take this one with a grain of salt because I really don't know much about it, but that whole idea of unconditional love is a misnomer for not understanding someone else's truth to unconditionally. Love someone is almost in, in my eyes. And again, I'm coming from this from a logical, reasonable clinical standpoint, which well, we all know that doesn't exist in the love world, or at least I've been told so that is, reference point, if you will, is not an acceptance of someone else's truth to love someone or to be in a relationship with someone is to wholeheartedly attempt to understand their truth with conditions that you, you know, the condition is maybe I don't agree or maybe it's not my truth and I don't uphold that. And that must be a weighing point for relationships. Like, you know, I talked about relationships in episode five and how those relationships go beyond just us as humans, but also my relationship with coffee. I have a cup of coffee before the episode. Every time I record it's part of my ritualistic, you know, getting ready to record, have a cup of coffee, think about things, jot down some notes. That's my relationship with coffee. I very rarely drink coffee other than when I'm recording. So, If I looked at that, that's my truth. And, you know, there's a condition there. It's a conditional effect. So the whole idea of unconditional love, I think, is a misnomer. And it's a, it's better related to unwanted. There is no, you're not seeking truth there. Your truth is that you're going to love someone based on what? based beyond the fact that you want to. Okay. That's not trying to understand someone that's objectivity, not subjectivity. I'm sorry. That's subjectivity, not objectivity. So this is where truth can really make us start to look at things a little bit differently when we come at it from the perspective of not just like truth equals facts. Truth equals something to you that is righteously upholdable. Um, There's been the use of the idea of truth throughout all religious warfare in ancient times, if you really want to call it ancient at this point. The idea of the Crusades, um, you know, those types of, those types of conflict are based on the, it's based on someone's truth versus someone else's truth and the fact that they cannot be reconciled. If there can be no reconciliation, then there's warfare. That That's essentially all war. Again, all war starts as a mental game, so it's very likely you've been in a war-like situation, you just don't see it that way because we look at warfare as a guns, pew-pew, boom-boom, you know, I know I'm making fun of it, but it's a very serious topic in the sense that we put warfare as guns and killing. That is a outcome of war. But the reality of war is it's an, it's a, it's when two truths meet and they're unreconcilable and they're unreconcilable to the point where people can't just agree to disagree. It's very it's very rare for me to find a situation in which you can find two people or a group of people and another group of people who will just agree to disagree. It's like we've lost that option. And remember how I feel about options. We should always have more than two because if you only have two options, that's not a choice and that's not a decision. So if the, if the reality, which is sometimes some people would refer truth to be reality but I find reality to be more inclusive, to um, the material and as a whole, more so than an individual. Again, esoteric versus exoteric. Reality is more of an exoteric vocabulary piece, more so than you know it is an esoteric in, internal piece. Whereas truth is kind of the, the the flip to that. Truth is an esoteric piece. Truth is wholly internal. It has nothing to do with the exoteric you believing in aliens or not is wholly your truth. If you're, you know, aliens exist. If that's your truth, that's your truth. It's an esoteric belief. There can be exoteric evidence that would give you persuasion to tell someone else that, and then, then believe that. But until that happens, it's an esoteric truth. Not to say you can't have that. That's where I believe truth lies. And that statement of truth lies. We have to take, a little bit farther. There are more, there's more truth in lies, actual, you know, like non-factual evidence, lies, coercion. There's more truth in that than lies in actual truth. And this is, this is a, a mystery in and of itself. When we talk about the mystery schools uh, and universal, again, I hesitate to say it, but universal truths or universal factors, if you will, you know, I'm always saying that the universe is constantly seeking balance. Well, if we take that a step farther, and this is me getting into a little bit more of the mystery schools that I've studied and the philosophy and all those things. If we look at that, if we want to call it a principle of reality or principle of the exoteric, we have that idea. The universe is constantly seeking balance. The way the universe balances things is completely asymmetrical. No symmetry. We do see symmetry in nature, but typically we see asymmetry. The Fibonacci sequence, you know, we the uh, golden ratio, three to five. We see primes. And I'm cutting straight to the end of it, but the, the reality, again, exoteric, when I talk about duality, you know, same side of the uh, same two sides of the same coin, the factor of duality. If we look at yin yang, right? We miss the, that it's actually triality. There's actually three pieces. It's not just it's not just yin, it's not just yang. It's yin, yang and the opposite of yin or yang inside of yin or yang. That, that, when you look at that spherical structure of yin yang, the common you know, we've all seen the diagram, we miss the fact that yes, you have a yin side and a yang side, a white or a black side. But then there's that, that third piece that there's a little bit of yin and yang and a little bit of yang and yin. That is the representation in in that set of what's known as triality. And no, I don't think triality is an actual word. Never really looked it up, but that's how I explain it. things are, they're threefold. There is no actual duality that doesn't exist. There's, one side of the coin, the other side of the coin, and the coin itself. There's always that, if you want to call it fabric, things exist in the fabric of space, you know, space time itself. There's always that third piece that we need in order to actually have duality. You can't have two sides of a coin if you don't have a coin. So it's duality inside of duality. And this is where things get super complicated and get really frustrating sometimes when you read the, the way that this is written and the mental uh, gymnastics that get played to explain it. Short and simple duality does not exist without actually three pieces, threefold. So everything's really try by nature, which the duality to that is everything is singular by nature because we live in an electric universe. That's my truth. I believe that we live in an electric universe. Everything is just an octave thereof of the hydrogen atom, and it's all just charge or no charge. And it's based on light structure and the classification of light. If you want to poke me, I'm a solidification of light, but I digress for now. That threefold piece is okay. I have one side of a measurement, another side of a measurement and the way in which I measure. Hopefully that makes sense that way. I can't measure something without using some sort of tool to measure it. Right. You know, even if it's just a subjectivity of it was good, it was bad. I'm just using my own personal opinion on it. I'm still using a methodology to measure something Thus I have two sides because I came up with a measurement because without one side, I wouldn't have the other, but I am measuring that goes back to systems. You have to work inside the system, right? So when we look at truth and we have more truth in lies than lies in truth, it's triality. It's we have truth and we have lies. But they're systematically inside of each other because that's the system. And that's why if we look back at the historical reference to truth, you know, God's word is truth, the king's law, the king's law or the king's way is, you know, that's truth. What the king said is is true. Or if we go into, you know, more of the eastern um, hierarchies of you know, between the matriarchies and the patriarchies, all throughout history we had a a oligarchical or a patriarchal or matriarchal ruling structure based in the idea of this is how it is. This is how it is. There is no other way. This is the way that is the reference of truth. And when someone else's truth is opposed upon you without you accepting it other than you have no other choice, that's known as tyranny. And it's dangerous and it's, it's, well, it's abusive. We can do that to ourselves though. If we're not careful, this is where we really delve into the mental health aspect of truth. If we're not checking in on our truths and we're, if we're not representing our truths, is a better way to look at it. We're doing ourselves some harm. If we're not speaking up for ourselves and I, and I'm not here to say like, you know, that whole like step up to your bullies and stuff like that. No, it's more so of the representation of what are your truths, because if you're not using those to represent yourself, you're doing yourself some disharm. you're doing yourself harm. And you might not even reference that it is harm. Again, I'm not a big fan of connotation, so I'm not just saying like harm as a negative, but you might be, you might be taking away pieces of you. You might be giving up parts of yourself. I did this for a very long time. I mean, I still do it to some extent today. I spent a really long time trying to make people like me. It's all I ever thought about is I just want people to like me. It was easier if people liked me, you know, and there was some subterfuge to that. You learn when you read, um, when you read historical references to warfare, as I've spoke about last episode, you know, Miyasashi's five rings, Sun Choose the art of war, Uh, even if you read like some of the military texts on the Roman Empire or uh, uh, to some degree like the Arcadian fighting. Anyway, um, military historical text records on how warfare is, again, a mental game. They often reference subterfuge. And subterfuge is one of the key ways – to win hearts and minds, we've used this in the in the American military. Well, since the inception of the American military, hearts and minds. Right, when we win wars by hearts and minds. It's counterinsurgency, insurgent, th- those types of things. The basis here is to use subterfuge to create a, tr- a truth. And when we when we look at that methodology, you lose pieces of the the whole body. There has to be some sort of compromise to what we really believe in to do the things that are quote-unquote necessary, right? Uh, looking at a fantastic repre- representation of this is when we look at um, the uh, warring state period in Japanese culture and Japanese history, uh, you know, people always like to talk about like the ninja Okay, yes, ninjas, that's a thing. I could really get a ninjutsu ninjutsu if I really wanted to, but a better representation of that was concubines. And a pretty much universal thing to do was to place a concubine in the thralls of your enemy to either extract information or to feed lies or feed information to the enemy using that type of relationship, that romantic relationship to get someone to let their guard down. It was universally used in the Warring States periods of uh, like Edo Japan and in that time frame. by doing so almost every individual who took that route, there was a loss of their, I don't want to say morality or or ethical nature. That's all debatable subjectively. There was a loss of trust overall because it always came out in the end. You always found out like, Oh, that was so-and-so's concubine or, you know, that was this person's subterfuge or this person backstabbed this person. That's historically throughout all warfare, and also politics, and also religion, and it's almost like a human nature trait thing. And it's it's very upsetting at times if you really want to look deep into it. Look at the, uh, French history. There's one, um, and specifically the French Revolution, and you look at the coercion and what was being touted as truth was that situation where. It was coercion. It wasn't even emotional. People later had emotional responses, which is why a lot of people got their heads chopped off. But then at the very end, there was a moral and ethical debate of, well, what do we do now? And it's often that we see the moral and ethical side of the story come at the very end. So I challenge people typically, to start at the moral and ethical, and that's where truth is. Your truth is what you believe. It's it's wholeheartedly who you are and how you produce your you know your actions, or how you go about your day, and that's where it can be very harmful in the sense of it may remove pieces of you to not represent yourself that way. I'm not saying don't do a little subterfuge now and then. Sometimes it just benefits you to like just be like yeah uh huh uh huh yep uh huh, and just get the fuck out like just. If someone's you know like just this is that whole, agree to disagree. if someone comes at you with their truth and they're just like not willing to listen to your side of the story, it might just be like that might just be the time frame to be like, "You know what, okay, sure, yeah, and then just leave, just 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 walk away. That can be part of it. If maybe you're the type of person who's truthfully confrontational, you're probably not going to do that. you're probably going to engage. I'm one of the people. My truth is I'll just disengage. It's not worth my time. My time's much more valuable than that. And I'll walk away. If I really need to have the debate, certainly I will engage in that sense. But I'm, I've said before with martialism, I'm a defensive martialist. I don't engage unless I absolutely have to, It's just my way. I'm more of the, um, it's the easy way to go about this. More of the Paracelsus trip. Um, so if you want to look at, historical references to philosophers. Uh, Paracelsus is technically one of the grandfathers of modern medicine but also believed in a lot of woo-woo stuff. It's really cool, like sylphs and undines and gets into like spiritual nature as, as well as true actual medicine like you know, oh, okay, if I take this herb, create this poultice or create this alchemical regent or agent. Um, he was Paracelsus von von Honenheim, specifically, I don't want to call him a uh, pacifist, but like didn't engage unless he absolutely had to. Even when it came to like treating individuals, if someone was of the accord that he was a quack, he didn't go out of his way to like prove them wrong. He wrote a lot and provided a lot of research and evidence-based, you know, stuff for people to look at. But when it came to debate, There's not a lot of reference for like Paracelsus like really hardcore debating someone. He would write and be like, this is what I feel like. But when it came to like if one of those people would come to him for treatment, he would treat them, but really wouldn't like treat them on the basis of, oh, I'm gonna prove you wrong. I'm gonna prove why I'm why I'm right. And that's an important factor for me when I look at truth versus truth or you know, when it comes to medical treatment, you have know, the hippocampus oh, do no harm, always be doing what could benefit the patient. Those are the types of truths I'm talking about here. Those are moral and ethical standings. And when you're in the moral and ethical, specifically in the moral, you have, let's call it wiggle room. You have room to be wrong because if you're coming at it from a moral standpoint and it's I don't want to call it moral high ground, but it's kind of moral high ground. And if you have the high ground in warfare, you're typically in a better advantageous position. It's easier to find the avenues of truth. And it's easier to find the avenues of choice and have a good perspective. And this is where education really can come into factor and beliefs and the language we use. Because if we come at it from a moral perspective, a moral Um, a moral reality, if you want, if like, if I'm going to look at my reality as being morally correct, my truth, then we're in a a realm of rational, logical, open-minded thinking. And that's where truth really is. When you're open-minded to things, it's hard to lie because you might state something that was incorrect but that wasn't wasn't what you were going for. You weren't trying to lie. Maybe you just were incorrect. And that's where it's okay to be ignorant versus it's not okay to be willingly ignorant. If you're just avoiding a whole subject or a whole body of research or a whole set of people, that's willful, willful ignorance. And you are wrong for doing so. Morally and ethically, you are wrong. So you, you have no, there's no argument there. You're just wrong. You don't get, you don't get to even, you don't even get to debate it. You're wrong. You came from a poor moral and ethical situation or standpoint. Whereas if you were ignorantly wrong under no accord of your own, just that you didn't have the proper information and someone comes along and goes, Oh, Hey, you know, you're wrong. Right. And you go, how so? And you have a debated conversation. Go, oh, wow. I was wrong. Let me update my new perspective, my new, you know, education level, my new use of language or the relationships or those types of things. That is a way better feeling overall to be like, oh, you yeah, know, I was wrong. My bad. People go, Oh, Hey, it's cool. Now you're good. Now you're on the, you're on the right track. You got it. You upgraded your, your whole mentality. You just didn't have the information. It's not your fault. You know, I can't get mad at someone if they don't have the correct information to start with. It's then, I take it in my eyes, it's then a little bit my job to give them the proper amount of education so that they can be up to date. They can have a a better understanding. We don't do that a lot. Specifically in mental health and self-awareness, we don't necessarily give people the educational pieces to better understand things or to better upgrade their way of thinking. And it's a huge disservice. This is where I know I keep going around in circles here, but I just like to explain things in different manners because different people hear things differently or think about things differently. So this is where, when, you know, we have that educational level and maybe we don't educate others and we just kind of go, Oh, they'll figure it out on their own or something like that. That's where it may not be our truth. And we might lose a piece of ourselves from that. I'm not saying you have to like give the beggar $20 every time you see a beggar, but where is the, where's the education level? This is an extreme I'm using here, but when you see a beggar on the street, what's your truth? Is your truth that all beggars are, liars. They're all grifters. They're all just out there in shitty clothing trying to like get one over on people to get, you know, it's free money by standing on the street with a little sign. That's a mentality I've seen people take. Is it that, is your truth that you, you work too hard to give away your money? It's yours. You, you worked for it. It's yours. You don't, you don't need to give it to anyone else. They, they should figure it out on their own. I'm not saying anyone here is wrong so far. Again, no connotation. I'm not the judge. It's what's your truth. How are you deciphering the situation? Is it, Oh, I got a couple bucks on me. Here you go. But it's very like put off ish, like just get the fuck away from me. Or is it like, Oh, I'm going to really, Oh wow. I I have an opportunity to help someone and I'm going to tell everybody about it afterwards. Or is it just, Oh, there's $3 here you go. And there's nothing to it. What is your truth? These truths are our pregame. It's the pre-mental warfare. Our truths are how we go into situations. And it's always preemptive. There's been a lot of study into how the mind works. And some of those studies, I'm not going to quote any of them. You can go look for them yourselves. And remember, I'm not a doctor. I cannot diagnose or prescribe. Take everything I say with a grain of salt but I remember reading some studies about precognitive function, specifically in the realm of choice-making or decision-making that our brain shows activity before the activity happens that we're almost always constantly trying to be preemptive or clairvoyant almost of, Oh, this is what's about to happen. Here's, and this is where we get into muscle memory or reflexive memory, those types of things, you know, mom instincts, dad instincts, parent instincts, those types of things. Um, Knowing someone, again, at that deep, like if you're, if you're knowing someone else's truths, you probably already know what to do. You know, I don't have a lot of personal relationships, but I do know people at a very deep level. So I have some truths of interaction with people as a whole, and I can usually find an outcome that fits the situation moderately. But a couple who's been together for years upon years upon years, the truth identity there may be that there is this precognitive idea that they already know, like when they walk in, And, you know, there's a situation happening. They already know how to react and they just do it. It's just natural, it's just a reactive, like, oh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go make them a cup of tea. I'm not gonna say anything, I'm just gonna hand them a cup of tea, I'm gonna go do the laundry because they're obviously way too occupied and whatever the fucking bullshittery is happening over here. I'm gonna go take care of these things and then, you know, we'll come back and we'll take care of it in the end. That's, that's that idea of truth. What's your truth? What's their truth? What's the truth interaction there? A lot of time, we never have that ever. We, we don't have that conversation of what's the actual truth. You're simply looking from your perspective of your reality. And like I've said before, never allow someone else to imply their reality upon you, but you should also be very careful, and this is the realm of moral and ethics, of how you apply your reality to someone else. Is the beggar just a piece of shit beggar? Or is the beggar no different than you and just down on their luck? am not saying give beggars money, but are there other options? Remember how I like to have options. When I would go down to the Masonic temple, the area in the city where it was, a lot of homeless people. It's, it's pretty much a universal truth across all major cities. There's going to be a lot of homeless people nowadays. And however you feel on that is how you feel on it. It could be your own truth. I didn't always carry a lot of money with me mostly because I didn't have it. (laughs) Um, some of the other guys that was around and I found it interesting. There was one individual, you know, we'd be walking back to our cars or, you know, where we're just walking together to get to lodge. And I've never seen this elsewhere. I mean, I've been around the city and stuff like that, but I've never, it was very interesting to watch this one individual. His truth was he didn't give money out he gave out information. You know, if someone approached him for money, he had had the representation of being through the situation where it was just a grifter. It's just someone trying to get a a quick buck. And he's also seen the situation of, you know, it was somebody really in need. So instead he offered information and he knew a lot about the city, which allowed him to do this. I didn't. So I didn't know. He kind of taught me like, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But He would say, Hey, I don't have anything for you. I don't carry a lot of money with me, but if you go down three blocks this way, two blocks that way, there's a soup kitchen and I donate to that soup kitchen regularly. Go get yourself a meal or there's, you know, a shelter go, you know, here's a warm place to sleep tonight. He had that piece of information, like ready to go. That was his precognitive truth. He knew he knew if he got approached, that was the answer done. And he always knew like wherever he was in the city, it happened three times when I was around him in different locations and he always knew here's, I'll just, I can tell you these blocks, boom, 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 not very far away. That was the information he gave out. That was his methodology of of dealing with that. That was his, his truth was he didn't know how he explained it to me was he didn't know if it was a grifter or not. And if it wasn't, he just gave a very important vital piece of information to someone who maybe didn't have that piece of information that could help them, you know, he always knew where to tell him to go. And it was a very interesting thing, especially for someone who didn't live in the city or, you know, I didn't really deal with homelessness, homelessness until I, myself was homeless. Although I, I don't really call myself homeless. I had a car. I lived in a car. I had somewhere, at least it was, you know, it's different when you don't live in the city and you have a vehicle yeah, the cops might give you shit and you might have to like do some finagling here and there, but I had a vehicle. So I had like, I had a fairly secure place to sleep and it wasn't the most nice vehicle. So people weren't really trying to break into it. So I didn't really have to worry about it. But until I was in that situation, I never had that mental activity or that mental, um, yeah, the, the, the mental forethought to think about those things. I never had to go through that in my head. And that's where the study of philosophy and the study of the metaphysics and the study of even just religions is a a way to expand the mind into the realm of what are your truths? How are you going to interact with the world? Because that's really what your truth is. It's who you are in some cases in philosophy, we have the esoteric writing of that. You are your own God. That's, that's a common standpoint to take. And that standpoint is based on the idea of that your actions and your, your vernacular, your methodologies are of truth. You are your own God. You make your own reality. You are truth. What you speak, there become. Or if we look at, you know, other ways of putting it. I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. That's only half the topic. It's only half the situation. That is a, a frame of reference for a consciousness to think, therefore you are. I think therefore I am, but I thought I wasn't. That was my truth for a very long time. My truth was that I was a, I was conscious. I was an entity, uh, had a physical form in materium that I didn't quite understand yet and I thought I wasn't, I thought I I wasn't capable. I thought I wasn't useful. I thought I wasn't respectable. I thought I wasn't really a human. I thought I was lesser. Um, I thought I was, I thought I was, I thought I was fill in the blank. That was my truth for a very long time. No self-worth. And I'm not saying I have full self-worth now, but I have a rational system in place. Again, going back to systems and how we can use them. I have a rational system in place to define my truth. My truth is I aim to be of service. That is one of the, the, one of the things in the mysteries we find kind of throughout. And I'm not saying you need to take the mysteries as this. It's just a truth I've adopted. I am to be of service. I am of service to the community through my practice of massage therapy. I'm a licensed massage therapist. I practice. I do my best to help my clientele in any way I can, as long as I'm working inside of my scope of practice, morally and ethically. Do I sometimes step out of my scope of practice? Yes. And it's usually fought, It's usually predated by a, a statement of I'm not a doctor. I cannot diagnose or prescribe. Here's my background. Here's why this might work. Please go see your GP, blah, 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 blah. I'm always, you know, you always got to cover your ass, but it's it's beyond that. I wouldn't be my own truth if I didn't step out of my scope of practice regularly to make statements, not always actions. I'm not going to, you know, like crack someone's neck. I'm not a chiropractor. To step out of just being an MT and saying, hey, I have a ton of knowledge about the human system. Whole fuck ton of knowledge and reading and research, all this stuff. Fascial system, the you know, endocrine system, integ- integumentary system, just digestive system. I have a ton of knowledge, anatomy and physiology and more about the human system. It's not my truth to not give that to my clients to help them. I took the hippocampus oath, do no harm. Always trying to be actively seeking help to the clientele or to the patient. So if I have the information, I don't give them, give it to them. That would be outside of my truth, but my truth also includes statements along the lines of, Hey, I'm not an expert and I'm not a doctor. I'm I'm just a licensed massage therapist, but here's what I've read. And here's what I know. It might be a good starting point for you to do more research based on your own situation to better help yourself. That's my reality. That's my truth. So that's really the standpoint. I feel most reflects what truth should be used as when it comes to our mental health and our, our, our self-awareness specifically in the self-awareness point and going back to, if you don't, if you don't work inside of those truths, you're, you're harming yourself in the sense of you're giving away pieces of yourself. You're just letting people take little pieces off and take more and more. If, you know, if you just back down when you really, you know, you really wholeheartedly believe this, but you let someone come in and like, tell you like, no, you can't believe that. That's not true. Okay. Well, why? Remember, I don't like why questions. It's so like, what evidence do you have? Why should I be changing my viewpoint? And specifically, why I don't like why questions is because they're they're subjective. They're typically emotionally based, or there's very little rationale to why, or there is a a trying of a rationality. And we're trying to make an argument about why, but it's personal and it's typically not based in logic. It might be, but. Mm, there's usually some other subterfuge coercion persuasive pieces in why questions or why answers. So what evidence does someone give you to take away your truth? And again, I'm not saying you have to like stand on the soapbox and fight the fight, but you do need to be careful that if it is something that you, you feel is wholly true to yourself, not to just let someone change that, you know, not to just let someone walk all over that, you know, that's another one not speaking up, even if it's just in like a passive aggressive, you know, like muttering under your voice, letting things go sometimes is not letting things go. It's allowing someone else to have affected your truth about yourself. And that's a big self-awareness piece of let's look at it as in, you know, when I talk about working inside of systems, you have systems and then you have people who do like the multi-system thing. And that's where systems get dangerous. When you're just like picking and choosing little pieces and not like applying truth to them that you really believe wholeheartedly in these things you're using or, or that's where other people can come, just come in and trample all over it. And then all of a sudden you're off to the next thing and off to the next thing. And you never really build who you are. So when we look at truth, I often like to ask, who are you? What are you? What's true? Like, give me a true statement about what you are, who you are. That's wholeheartedly true to you. It doesn't have to be true to me. You can be like, I'm Alf. You know, like I'm Snarf. (laughs) Like I'm a chair. It doesn't have to be factually true and evidence-based, but it needs to be true to you. It needs to be your truth to answer those questions. Who are you? What are you? It's very important to have definitions for that at least. And that's where truth is a matter of self. And my truth, if we you know want to take this example of what I was talking about, true to me was depression. I'm always depressed. It's just, my depression has this piece of truth to it that it's not, it's not a controlling subject. It's a, a tool. It's a system. And I get to have the truth of, am I worth it? Or am I worthless? It's up for debate. You get to, you get to decide my own personal I aim to be of service to the community. That's how I give myself some self-worth. I go in, I do my job, I do it six days a week. I see X number of clients. I do my best every time to be of service to those individuals. You could do that however you want if that's the methodology you wanna use. There's plenty of other methodologies out there. But that's how I answer, that's my truth of answering do I have worth or am I worthless? Who am I? What am I? I'm just just a bearded dude on terra firma who has a lot of questions, has a little bit of knowledge, likes to educate people when he can and aims to be of service generally while also being completely introverted and likes to be left alone like a sage on a mountain and just doesn't want to get involved. Just I want my quiet peace, my little tiny, you know, whatever thousand square foot tiny piece of nothingness. That's just peaceful and not ignorant. If I have to get involved, I have to get involved. I just typically don't want to typically just be like, be left alone. That's my truth. The truth in this podcast is very cathartic for me. That's my truth of the podcast. It's very cathartic. Maybe it'll be helpful to someone else. Who knows? Maybe, maybe I am being an aide. No idea. So, That's where I think when we look at mysteries and systems, you know, as we've we've stepped out, we did education, belief, language, relationships, and emotions all lead up to what we consider our reality. And then we have choice and change and perspective, mysteries and systems lead that, those, those choice changes and perspectives. And then we have the, you know, the schools of mystery or just philosophy and thought Those types of things, and we have the systems of philosophy and thought, and those types of things lead us into truth. And they are methodologies the choices we make, the changes we allow to occur, the perspectives we take, the ways we educate ourselves on ways of thinking, the thinking that we do, or the systems that we practice, or what our system is are ways of defining our truth and being truthful to ourselves is one of the biggest self-awareness starting points you can have. You can be truthful to yourself, be true to who you are and be okay with their change happening. Make some, if you want to change something again, you make choices that correlate to the change and the outcome you're looking for if you aren't comfortable with being true to yourself or you don't know what being true to yourself means, what I can tell you is it probably means you need to take some more time and put a little bit more effort into figuring out who you are and then understanding that that's going to change. It upgrades itself as we get older. You know, one of the things I like to say about knowing how you're an adult is when you realize all the adults were right. That whole statement of like, oh, you'll get it when you're older. Yeah. Growing up, becoming an adult is realizing, yep, yep, they were right. Yep. They weren't maybe completely right in the statement they made, but I definitely, definitely took till now to realize like, oh no, yeah, I didn't get it till I was older. And you know, there's, there's things that we don't even think about or you were never taught about that go into that whole endocrine system. Your chemical processes, testosterone, that changes in males all the time. As your testosterone levels level out, as you get older, your mentality may change. Estrogen, as your estro- as for a female, as your estrogen levels change, as you get older, your mental state may change, you know, as your cortisol levels increase for everybody, for everybody, your stress level and inducement is increasing and thus maybe you're short tempered or aren't able to deal with as much getting poor sleep as your dopamine levels are increasing and you are in a euphoric state and serotonin rises to meet it. And then all of a sudden dopamine levels off and drops off and you go into a little bit more of a depressive state because now you just have serotonin without dopamine and cortisol has raised itself, but there was no norepinephrine reaction to put us in a fight or flight state, these things change. And sometimes you don't have control over them, be it, maybe it's a chemical process. And that's a truth of being a human. So as so far, you know, we've just talked about truth of you, but there's also, as I've cautiously stated universal truths and a universal truth of humanity is we're ruled by systems. We don't always fully understand just space radiation alone or just let's, okay, let's look at this truth. Let's look at what we are universally or not even universally, just in our solar system alone in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. We're a solar system. We are not the typical referenced plate theory solar system. There's not a sun and then a plate structure of different plates, you know, sizes being the representation of the orbits. We do not rotate around the sun. Like we're on a plate, like everybody's on the same, you know, plane, maybe up down a little bit shifted. That's that's not reality. The truth behind it is you are in a heliocentric orbit on the planet earth, circling behind the sun is the sun revolves around the center of the Milky Way galaxy to some extent. Milky Way galaxy spinning, those galaxies spin, the earth is spinning inside that spinning. And the, the sun is also spinning inside of that spinning. So the sun is actually traveling on its trajectory. It's moving through space and time. And we're being drugged behind it in a heliocentric orbit, which is like a spiral pattern behind it. And so all the other planets. That alone is the truth to the earth system. We're a piece of space trash getting pulled along with all the other space trash and it's all spinning around the garbage can of the Milky Way to the very bottom in which we all hit the trash compactor of some sort. That's truth. That's the truth of the the solar system inside of the galaxy known as the Milky Way sun hurtling through space, but a really fast clip. Their sun is moving. It's pulling us along like a comet's tail with all the other planets. And we're spinning on an axis, which is also moving at a good clip, a clip fast enough that if the earth would stop spinning on its axis, we would travel the distance of the United States of America, about 3,200 miles in like three seconds. It's like a thousand. I think it's like a thousand miles a second or somewhere around there. It's boom, just the whole crust of the earth would just come shearing off. You wouldn't even know the earth stopped spinning. You would just like be hurtled into space with whatever physical structure. The walls would probably crack and, you know, that stuff. But the crust would come along with it for the most part. You would just hurtle off into space until all the oxygen depleted itself and then you would suffocate to death. But that's just the truth of the, you know, nature of the orbit and movement of that exoteric situation known as the solar system which we live in. So truths can be applied esoterically and exoterically. Universal truths are exoteric. Those are what the mystery schools deal with, like I was talking about with primes. Universal is singularly primed, and then everything of duality is actually triality, so it's another prime. The primordials were primes. That idea of asymmetry is a universal truth and truth is asymmetrical. That's, that's your, that's your mystery school lesson for this episode is truth is asymmetrical. Everything's always seeking balance, but there's always asymmetry, which is a really great thing to know because asymmetry means nothing's perfect. And actually, the definition of perfection is imperfection. What we see as perfect symmetry is typically asymmetry, the 3 to 5 golden ratio, you know, the Fibonacci sequence. These mathematical representations of what we perceive mentally, subjectively, as objective rationale is all asymmetry, and it's all based on primes. It's a really interesting mental... Exercise to think about how. No matter what you do, odds and evens aren't equal. If you add two odds together, you get an. Um, if sorry, if you add two equals together, you get an equal. If you add two odds together, you get an equal. That's how the primes work. That's the that's the whole rationale behind nature is it's looking for pressure motivation. That's it seeking balance. It does though asymmetrically. When we have a high pressure system and a low pressure system in the atmosphere, we get a weather event. One way or another, that pressure motivation is going to happen. The asymmetry comes when we end up with maybe a smaller load system and a slightly smaller high system. All of a sudden they both became smaller systems. There's always asymmetry there. It's everywhere. um, I've known a lot of people who were relative perfectionists. And the great thing I found in perfectionism is how much time they spend on the imperfect. Most perfectionists don't try to be perfect. They try to limit imperfection and they focus on it all the time. Anything that's imperfect is what stands out to them. The perfect is just, just a blur. They don't care doesn't doesn't show up on the radar it's the imperfect that shows up on the radar that's what they focus on that's their truth the truth to imperfection or an imperfectionist is that the only thing that matters is imperfection it's the non perfect that's all that matters to them perfect that's that's what should be the outcome imperfect keeps them from getting to the outcome so they must eliminate the imperfection or when they build something or make something or craft something, the only thing that shows out at the end is not what they made. It's the scratch or the, the minor imperfection at the end. Those individuals who embrace that idea, I don't want to make them sound better or more rational, more logical. I will say that they seem to have a better grasp and understanding of self-awareness and their own personal mental health landscape. People who embrace the imperfect or in my eyes, what I do is I embrace the chaos by usually being of an ordered structure or rationale or logical standpoint, both ethically and morally, that embracement of imperfection is always like a tool for learning. It's a it's a way of looking at something a little different. Like, Oh, did you know that was going to happen? That's an interesting outcome. You don't have an emotional response to it anymore. You eliminate the idea that there can be perfection because without perfection, you don't have imperfection. And without imperfection, you don't have perfection. That's the idea of duality. And the truth that all duality is really triality, trifold. Yes, perfection's one side of the coin, imperfection's the other. The coin is the third piece. It's the methodology of measurement be it through the rationale of math, which is what most of the mystery schools have ever used, is to use math as a language. Or if it's as easy as mushrooms on a pizza or no mushrooms on a pizza, the answer is pizza. That's that's the coin. The coin is pizza. The idea of toppings on the pizza, that's that's your own truth. But the measurement is There's pizza. So be pizza. That's the answer. It's just, there's pizza. Anyway, that's uh, one way it was explained to me that because people like food. So when you look at like the food situation, the way you make the systematic idea of preparing a food doesn't matter. It's food. That's, that's the coin. The coin is it's food. That's its subject or subjectism. Um, Art is how I got into that conversation was I'm not very, I don't do well with art. I don't, I get it now a little bit more so than I used to. But for me, it took a really long time to realize the truth for me of art is the time that went into it. That's the real truth behind art. It's the effort. It's the human effort. If something is beautiful or if something is thought-provoking or these are all just, that's personal, like depression. The rationale behind it, or to me the truth behind it, is the effort that went into it. If someone spent 300 hours putting the most perfect stroke of black ink on a white background, I would be far more interested in that piece of art than someone who spent 10 minutes finger painting whatever. Objectively, they're two different things. And the whole art community might get an uproar about, oh, but art is art and blah, blah, blah. to me, that's the representation of mastercraft versus imitation. You can have a a profoundly amazing imitation if someone spent the ridiculous amount of effort to perfectly imitate the master of craft the jack of all trades, master of none, but I'd rather have a master of none than a master of one. Those types of ideas are the representation of the triality of truth. Everything's prime. It's prime by nature. It's all asymmetrical. So when you look at your self-awareness landscape, ask yourself, what are your truths? What do you call true? What do you call truth? how do you define it to yourself? What are your, your moral and ethical standpoints of truth? And I'm not saying get into morals and ethics because that's a deep dive, but you know, what do you hold true? And what truths can you get out of the lies that you might be telling yourself or others? I spent a lot of time lying to people about who I was. Like I said, I wanted them to like me, I would make up fun stories. I was an entertainer by nature. When you're a bouncer, you sometimes you just got to entertain to fuck with the situation. Just throw some chaos out there and hope it all kind of doesn't go the way you think it might. Just if it doesn't come to fisticuffs, things went well. How you got there mm, might not be the best moral and ethical. I mean, you're not, you know, you don't want to, again, you should come from a moral high ground. That makes it ethically basist. But maybe there's some lies that went in, some subterfuges that went into there to stay away from that fisticuff situation. So you have done that. The truth that's in those lies though, can be interesting to look at, you know, why did I want people to like me that bad? And again, why is a personal, it's an esoteric question. So like you can ask yourself why questions. I just typically don't like to ask why questions. What were, what was the basis of the lies that I was telling people? Why, you know, know, what, What did I get out of them liking me more for that? How did it, how did it benefit me in any way to make people think I was one thing and not another, there's a lot of truth in that. There was a lot of truth in the idea. I didn't want people to know who I was reality. My truth is I'm not, I hold a lot back here. Even on the podcast, you know, I, I talk about myself very openly. But it's rare that you'll get enough people together to know too much about me. I'm not trying to be mystery, you know. Not trying to be mysterious. I just prefer to be a very personal, private person. And I accomplish that nowadays by publicly giving you whatever you want to know, without really giving you everything to know. I don't need to give you my whole life story. That's not my truth. My truth is I will share anything that can be of benefit to you or that you might be curious about, but I get to reserve everything I want to reserve from that. I don't need to give you everything to give you that. That's why I, I don't do well in personal, very intimate relationships, be they, you know, platonic or not platonic. I don't do well in that situation. Cause I'm just more of a professional by nature. and I like to say human beings, humans are, they are my profession. So that's the idea of, you know, can you, can you garnish or gain some, some garner, can you garner or gain some truth from the lies you might be telling? What lies are you telling? What lies are you telling yourself? do you really like pineapple on your pizza? And you just don't know. It? You just never tried it. You're just going along with the narrative. Like, no, I never put pineapple on pizza. The reason pineapple on pizza sucks is because fun fact worked in a pizza shop. If you want to make a better pineapple pizza, put the pineapple on after you've cooked the pizza, people tend to put the pineapple on and then kick the pizza. And then the ovens, cause it's so hot, just evaporates all the juice from the pineapple out. And then you're just left with the, Pineapple piece. People don't like the texture of pineapple, typically. They like the sweetness that comes from it. So stop putting pineapple on the pizza before you bake it. Try that. Makes a better Hawaiian pizza. Trust me on this. I've tried it. Studied it. (laughs) That's the reason people don't like pineapple on pizza. But it's pizza. And you can put anything you want on it. It's one of the greatest things I ever learned in the restaurant industry is I had this chef tell me, I might, I might wrap up with this as the professional cooking, the p- cooking, the pizza or cooking the meal or doing like that. Yes. My job was to make it delicious, to put effort into it, put time into it, put care into it. Not so much love. You don't do that in a professional world, but he put some care and some effort into creating a good meal. And he specifically told me this uh, when we were doing funerals. Cause I, I did a lot of banquet work. That's really what I was, I'm good at slinging food. There's two parts of the three, cause I kind of consider pizza separate. I'm decent at tossing pies. I'm really good at slinging short order food. You know, like you would get it like a, a hoagie shop, a pizza shop, you know, French fries, burgers, cheesesteaks. I'm really good at, you know, fried food. I'm, I'm good at slinging that. Not so great at the fine dining part. Oddly enough though, I'm really good at banquet work, which is, you know, bulk food items for parties and such. So doing a funeral, I don't know how we got into the subject, but he told me essentially, yes, put care and effort into the food, right? One of the best things you can do for funeral attendees, someone who, you know, are grieving, is provide them a great meal. You put care and effort into providing them a great meal. But never... Expect them to eat it the way you prepared it. They should be fully allowed to eat it however they want in the most comfortable way they can possibly think of. So if they put ketchup on it, great. If they put pepper on it, great. If they put mustard on it, great. If they put salt on it, great. It's not saying that you didn't salt it enough. It just wasn't to their preference. So instead, provide an item or provide a culinary spread that's customizable that makes for a better banquet because by doing so I've given the option for them to express their truth. And that's the truest form of art I can think of is to provide my truth in a way for others to experience it with theirs. And it took that moment of clarity to realize one of the deepest rationales of all human beings. You may be like me and you really want to be private, but it's kind of nice to be understood. And when we understand that someone else's truth can be vastly different from ours, without affecting ours, we can share ours. And we can be truthful to ourselves and them at the same time. When someone's truth goes against humanity as a whole, that's what's known as a cancer. Inside of, and this was all actually a part of this conversation I had with this individual, very prophetic, (laughs) very prophetic individual. But when you talk about cancer, because he knew, his truth was he knew other people's truth. He taught me a lot about how to recognize and have conversations with other people by understanding that person a little bit better and putting it in in terminology. So coming at this through a banquet for a funeral, he switched over into anatomy and physiology, which he knew I knew a lot about or was at least interested in. And we talked about how with cancer, cancer is a deformation of the cellular structure of the human system. I'm adding a lot to this conversation, but Cutting it out is the answer. So when someone's truth wholly goes against the human representation or humanity as a whole, that's when removal occurs. Not because there's a disagreement. That's a different subject. How someone likes to eat their pizza its not my fucking problem. I just make the pizza. I try to make it however they want to eat it because I'm not eating it. They've provided me money for a service. That service is make pizza, make pizza the way they want pizza, not to have some opinion on how they should want their pizza. But if someone were to come in and say, no one's allowed to eat pizza, that person's wrong. And at that point, it's time to take a stand and say, no, no, no. Truth here is my truth. Their truth. Everyone else's truth. People get to eat pizza. Asshole. Okay. Okay. Calm down, shut up, sit down, because you're wrong. You need to reevaluate your situation. That's a cancer. We don't want that. This gets into a much bigger, broader conversation of moral and ethical rights or human rights as a subject. But again, if we come at the conversation from a moral standpoint, more so than an, an emotional standpoint, or even a, a, a negative side of, or a, a non-helpful side of coercion and, and deceit, if we come at it from a moral standpoint, we have better conversations. So the truth of the subject matter for self-awareness and mental health, to me, is to remove the connotation, which allows us to have a better conversation that doesn't start in the negative. To instead come at it from a moral standpoint, And the moral standpoint I take, I cannot understand your depression, singularly who you are. We can talk about it though. There's nothing taboo here. There's nothing off topic here. There must be no, no connotation so that we can have proper judgment and then have good sharing of truth. At the same time, you need to spend the time and spend the effort. You know, like I was talking about these people, it's a constant revolving thing in the mystery schools and in some of the anecdotal stories I've given you in this episode, that time and effort piece to put in the effort to figure out what your truth is. Who are you? And what are you? Truthfully, who are you? And what are you? What do you want to be? Who do you want to be? This is some new, new, interesting truths to talk about, right? If I can figure out who I am, and what I am, maybe then I can figure out who I want to be or, or, or what I want to be. And then I can try to strive for that or find systems to put in place to get there. And I can take things one step at a time and give myself more time, as we've talked about in, in previous episodes. So that's really truth. One of the definitions of truth is um, it's a body of real things. I think that's, it's interesting, again, when we take words into a different, context than what we're usually used to using them. If we look at the history of a word or just a a different definition. One of the definitions for truth is a body of real things. And that's why I brought up that that whole you know funeral banquet thing is the real body of things in that in that system, in that truth, was the truth was we were slinging hash for a banquet just doing my job but by just doing my job correctly with some effort i could provide a service to people who really needed it at a time that was you know of grievance of of dealing with loss of life maybe that person just needed a really good meal just to get through that day That was their truth. And my truth was just to do do my job to the best of my ability. That's it. So truth can be super simple or super complex. You get to decide and you get to decide what your truths are. So please go look at your truths, check them out, come up with new ones, maybe jot down some ones that you'd like to study into. You know, we'll have to, at some point, get into moral and ethics. I'm sure. But if you don't know, what's a set of morals or what set of ethics is it's something to look into because there are many ways to measure it, but it becomes a universal truth that moral and ethics are our exoteric way of dealing with other esoterics. So if you're an esoteric and I'm an esoteric again, S O E S O esoteric selfward looking inward looking self-awareness, mental health universal truths on the exoteric, you know, you can have your own your own personal esoteric truths. The universal exo-exoteric truths or the outwardly looking truths are those things that allow us to link up. And I'm stating that one of those, take the connotation of depression. Everyone's depressed. It's just a tool. It's just a system. It's just a way of looking at things. Mental health It's just an aspect of health. What is homeostasis of mental health? It's not... Oh no. Mental health. It's mental health. How's yours? Good, bad, ugly, awesome. Somewhere in between pizza. What is it? What's the truth there? That's all. And then let's you you talk about it, converse about it, do what you can, you know, that's the methodology. So what are your truths? What truths would you like to put in tail? truth do you want to represent yourself with to to the world? It can be very tiny. I love pizza. It can be very big. I want to save an endangered species. There's a lot that can go into a truth. So spend some time with it. I ask you to spend some time with it and look at it and define your own truths. And then, you know, at some point we maybe get into that idea of definition. Because definition of truth is when we, we righteously, I can shouldn't really say righteously, but when we kind of plant the flag, if you will. That's definition of truth. So take the first step, look at your truth, and then as we go along, maybe you can start to define some truth for yourself. As always, thanks for coming by. Thanks for listening, and uh, I'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.